This is the Investor Frame Podcast with me, Paul Sparks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Investor Frame Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Sparks. And on this show, we ask successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs to share their experiences so we can all learn and uh, get closer to the things that we want in life. Today, I've got a great guest. He's a close friend of mine, Jason Marks, member of the Whale Club with me. And uh, Jason is a fix and flipper, wholesaler. He's got rental properties out of the Charlotte, North Carolina market. He's also got some really other cool businesses uh, with trucking and stuff like this. This guy's just a, he's just a serial entrepreneur. I've seen him uh, do some amazing things. He and I are in some similar groups outside of uh, the Whale Club as well. And so Jason, it's awesome to have you here today, man. Looking forward to hearing you, uh, you share your story. Thank you for having me. Awesome, dude. So um, we always kick off this, off this show with uh, asking our guests to share a six-word update. Do you have a six-word update for us? Yep, yep. And, um, you know, our six-word updates change either by the week or by the day. So mine literally this morning was, um, I'm happy to get sleep back. Um, you know, we work a lot. We are, we're no stranger to constant, you know, fires, issues, problem solving, and uh, I'm up early. I'm, I work late. And um, in the last few weeks, finally, I have gotten a lot of things in place, a lot of things in order. And I've literally been sleeping way better than I have in the last year and a half. And uh, every day I wake up still ready. I'm, I'm, I'm on a thousand when my feet hit the ground. But now it's just a couple hours later. And it's been it's been very, very wonderful. Sleep is good. And, uh, you know, we talk about this timer model and energy being, being one of those, right. And, um, it's tough to pour, it's tough to pour your, yourself into your business. If it's not adding, you know, giving you energy and part of that just comes from sleep, uh, you know, making sure you, you kind of set boundaries. And in fact, you are going to be on our, our will call today. And one of the things, the question of the week this week is what what rules do we need to define ahead of time for ourselves and for our business? Kind of like what are the non-negotiables that we need to oh, set? Yeah. Um, and as you know, as entrepreneurs, we can oftentimes bend those rules because you know working late or getting up early, and you know so it's important to sort of establish these boundaries for yourself and your business. I'm sure you'd agree. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And just re-remembering that rules are required to be followed in order to achieve what we want to achieve. Absolutely. It's very easy to just go. Uh, a lot of people have a hard time taking the first step in anything. Mm -hmm. I think that a big separator between the successful and not is just action. But you might act so much so fast, you can forget there are literally rules to this if we yeah. want it to work. And I was reminded with the whale club, not only are there rules, we need to be following them precisely. Yep. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, Hey man, kick us off. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you and your businesses that you, that you run there. Like I said, I know you've got a, a couple, a couple things that you're working on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what your business looks like? Yeah. So it started, um, let's see, it started about 11 years ago. We started a logistics company. Um, I found, my way, I found, I think my mentors found me, I should say. And I've always had a ton of energy. I've always been all over the place. And they kind of helped me put that energy into this vortex to where if we knew what we wanted, we can set goals and achieve anything. So about 11 years ago, we started the, the trucking business. Um, it, it was, it's been good ever since. And the dream was always build a business, make money, take that money, build a real estate portfolio. So it took probably about five years. You know, we started making money. We had some fun. Uh, I met my wife, kind of got settled down. And then we got ready to start investing. So five years in, I start doing some research on the smartest ways to look for rentals. If the whole world's going to be looking at the MLS, I'm sure there's some smart people looking the opposite direction. We find real estate wholesaling. And when I find real estate wholesaling, 
it's almost identical to the trucking business. The trucking business, we purchase truckloads and then we sell them to the trucks who move them. We are a middleman between manufacturer and trucking company. Mm -hmm. I find out we can be the middleman between real estate seller and end buyer. Yeah. Um, well, to that point, let me just, it's funny because like, I think real estate wholesaling gets a bad rap sometimes. Maybe because there's a bunch of sleazy wholesalers out there who, you know, are operating without a license. It pisses off a bunch of realtors. It pisses off investors. And, but yeah, but there's a lot of money to be made. But I think it's funny because every, every business, every industry has a middleman. Like, and we just, you know, like Costco is a wholesaler. <laughs> yeah, 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 precisely. So, yeah. You know, you're just doing the same thing that you were doing in a different business. Yeah. And in, in the, so in the, in the logistics world, we are truck brokers, mm. right? So essentially in a weird way, you can say it's a wholesale situation, but being that middleman, <clears throat> both industries come with the same stigma. There's always going to be these companies that don't function morally, which can make the other ones look bad, but it poses a huge benefit in which we've taken advantage of in both that we are naturally going to be the good guys because integrity is important. The people on our teams, integrity is important. So we're always going to stand out just that little bit <clears throat> because it's such a surprise to find out that there's a few people that actually do this right. Mm. It's so easy to do it wrong. It's so easy to maneuver, you know, in a cloudy way where we, like I said, we want to sleep well at night you know, and people genuinely appreciate what we can bring to them, whether it's helping someone with a massive issue that's tied to their house or a company that just needs all these truck loads moved that just can't find trucks, you know? So it's been, um, it's been a really, it's been a fun road up until now. Um, it's been smooth. It's been rocky and we're just fortunate that we're built for it, you know? And, um, also bringing incomes to people that we love yeah. has been just some of the coolest stuff. I, I never could have pictured this 10 years ago. You know, I always knew that we would be something that was never a doubt, but to just see where we are to know, I don't even know the road that will get us to where we're going, but I'm just excited because we'll be on it. You know, that's always how it's been. And no so what does your real estate business look like? So the real estate business is interesting. We started, you know, it's, it started with just my wife and I, you know, about four years ago, just reaching out tax delinquent um, property owners, sending them mail with a handwritten envelope, um, started doing some deals. And then I met some powerhouses like Stephanie Betters here in Charlotte. So we get put into Collective Genius. Well, Collective Genius teaches us you can do deals or you can run a business. So as it started with just my wife and I, what it looks like today is now there's eight of us. Uh, we have acquisitions, we have dispositions, we've got um, executive assistant, I've got lead intake manager. Um, I think our first you know, few years, we probably did 20 or so deals where we're going to be upwards of 20 deals by March. You know, So just seeing the difference of you know, you can do it on the side or you can do it legitimately, you know, so our, our business looks, again, it's really, it's, it's exciting. Um, we definitely cherry pick some of the wholesale deals and we'll take them on as our own rental or we'll fix and flip them ourselves. Um, a little bit more active income this year than residual. So we do want to, we have paused acquiring. And we're just trying to stack as much cash now. And I think that probably end of Q3 or Q4, we'll just, you know, take these chunks, pick those really, really good deals, and then just start acquiring towards the end of yeah. the year. So, so far, that's what we're, that's how it's looking. That's awesome. Um, you know, and you've got a very similar business in a way to, well, obviously all the collective genius guys, but, you know, it's that like middle you know, you're not doing hundreds of deals per year, but you've stepped out of the like onesie twosie type of business. And now you're doing 
what, like five to 10 deals a month? Yeah, yeah. We needed, we wanted it to get to three a month consistently. Consistency was the name of the game at first. And then we can scale that, you know, everything that's working, we can turn the knobs up, turn the knobs down, yeah. you know, and so, yeah, so we're, we're trying to land in between that five to 10. Um, we have made it a choice that we don't want to increase. Um, and that's just based off of our personal preference. Um, we have the ability to turn it into the hundred deal, the 200 deal a year, if we want to. Um, we're starting to gain that ground and know which levers to pull, which levers to turn off. But um, again, figuring out what we'll speak of in, uh, in a few minutes, the solvable problem is you go into these events and you see these people that are doing massive numbers. Some of the greatest uh, experiences going to these places is getting back to humble because we always feel like we're all these champions until we get around real legends. And you can get shiny object syndrome that, whoa, they're doing that. We could be doing that. And we have the capability of doing that. So therefore, we want to do that. Mm -hmm. But then you find out what comes with that level of business. Yeah. And if we didn't have anything else to do, it might be something to look after. But you know, running two different businesses is a challenge in itself. Um, so we've got it. We've got the expected scale where we're going to feel comfortable. And as long as we're there, we're always going to be okay. And then if the team, if they want to increase their own net worth on top of that, we can put stuff in place for them on their own. Yeah. Us as a company, we're definitely comfortable where we are. We're super excited where we are and very proud of where we've come. So mm -hmm. let all those big guys do what they want to do. And those big women, you know, more power to them, but we're going to be, we're going to be chilling right here. Yeah. Well, and, and so this plays right into this conversation around closer versus more, you know, and <clears throat> there's always, I don't want to sound like, you know, we talk about this all the time in the whale club and we know, that we're not we're not vilifying large bill large businesses if that is what you're trying to solve for for all of the reasons why you might want that well great as long as you have clarity on that but the question isn't you know we as entrepreneurs because we're so competitive i mean a lot of us we're just we're those type a really competitive people and a lot of it just <laughs> i've found came from ego you know i see somebody else doing something and i'm like I could do that. They're not smarter than me. I could figure out how to run that business if I really wanted to. But, you know, it's like this blind rage almost that just, you know, leads you into something. And it's almost a trap. I mean, nine times out of 10, it's a trap. If you don't really have clarity on why you want to, you know, grow a scalable, you know, a business that's scaled up to however many deals per year, you might just be chasing more. And so you mentioned it a couple of things like there's trade offs to everything. You don't know what their life looks like. You know, you don't know all the trades that they're making in exchange for that business. And so yeah. we've got to take the time to define our personal preferences and more is not always better. Uh, it's, it's closer to, to alignment, closer to the things that we actually want in life. We call that the solvable problem. So let's dive into that. How do you think about your solvable problem? So um, I'm going to tie this back. Uh, this was about eight years ago, eight or nine years ago when uh, I lost my mother. Okay. She was uh, 55 years old. She was sick a majority of my life. Uh, so her passing was very bittersweet, you know, sad. You miss your mom, but it's very, her not being in pain anymore. It was beautiful. But in that moment, like at my mother's funeral, I, understood the lesson that life is short. And for me, this not only helped me in life, this helped me in business because the solvable problem for those that don't understand it or those who haven't heard it, you know, we always need to figure out why we are doing what we're doing. So I could have defined a why, but I don't ever think I would have tried to put a number next to it. 
So putting a number next to it, having that be the segue to the message and the lesson of my mother was life is short. So I learned I am going to enjoy every single day. Um, you know, gen generally, most people will tell you that I'm the most chill and I'm the most happy individual that they know. And that's a choice. While at the same time, in the last six or eight months, um, I haven't felt as chill. I've still been happy, but so I got some really good clarity of like, we know why, but if you had to put a number next to it, what would it be? And we can all keep our own numbers to ourselves or, you know, share them if we want. But the idea of, we had, a, we had, a, we still have a great first business. So even if we didn't have the second business, we would still be on track to our solvable problem. We just wanted rentals. I didn't know it was going to turn into a whole other business. And it just, you just wake up and here we are. So mine was interesting because of how everything fell. I had to wake up and be like, okay, hold on a second. Like, first of all, what are we doing? What are we doing at all right now? Why are we doing it? And are we just chasing more? The closer versus more, uh, which has got to be a cool emblem that we've got to put on shirts and just send out to everybody is understand you want to be getting closer to your solvable problem, not chasing more. So our solvable problem looks like we already knew life is short and we want to enjoy it, but we just got reminded. So both teams have been in charge of this conversation. My wife and I have a bunch of these conversations and, you know, as the days go by, as more and more and more pieces of paper get written on, you know, I've got tons of notebooks for every subject. The calmness setting back in, clarity is setting back in. So how do I define my solvable problem is we, we now re-remember why we're doing what we're doing or we're putting why we're doing what we're doing. We're giving it some reasonings in the first place three years after it already started so it's just been it's just been absolutely phenomenal mm. because we thought we had all this information already and a little tweak to a why to a solvable problem has literally changed how we do everything mm. so well and I, I i you mentioned a couple things first question that I wrote down was what are we even doing here right like what are we doing here how many times in entrepreneurship have you asked yourself that question I have asked myself that question more times than I care to admit like what the hell are we doing here yeah you know we we just start doing things and be you know because our because the opportunity is there and we're like well because I can do it I'm gonna do it Mm -hmm. Um, and what happens is if you, you know, you'll start collecting, I, I have a, I have a coach and you know, him, Dr. Jeff Spencer, he talks about the life lens progression and, you know, this guy's in his seventies and he's coached all, he's coached dozens and dozens of Olympic athletes. He's worked with some of the top business owners in the world. I feel very fortunate to, to work with him. And, and what he talks about is in your thirties, this decade of your thirties, we have everyone has a tendency towards acquisition. You know, I think of it as like the conqueror, like Alexander the Great, you know, like we're out there just trying to conquer things just because our biology is sort of like wired that way. In your 30s, you're wired towards conquest. And, and the risk of that is you start taking on all of these obligations. Now you've got all these responsibilities, you know, and they're, they're essentially liabilities for you. Yeah, I get it. Maybe you could, you could conquer that. So because we can, we do it, but it's really important, especially when we're in our thirties and you and I, you know, we are, and like, we've got to be careful not to just conquer something just because we can, because oftentimes you'll get down the road and you'll build these businesses. And you're sort of like, wait a second, 
like, what are we doing here? Why am I conquering this in the first place? Is it ego? Is it comparison? Is it because this actually helps me get what I want? Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, on that, like, draw that we just have right now towards doing things just because we can? Yeah, that's, I think that's where we realized we ended up, at least with the real estate company. You know, the trucking company, I knew the trucking company, I just wanted to get out of the bartending business so bad. And I had my mentors and I knew that there was going to be real estate. And it was an opportunity that I saw, I took it, we're there. But then the real estate company, it literally took till six weeks ago until we were like, what are we doing? You know, we wanted to help people. Finding out that you can help people who have issues with real estate was why we wanted it started. But when we started it, we, we didn't have an elaborate company as our view. It was yeah. my wife and I doing real estate deals. So we literally just fast forward to, I mean, two different LLCs. One of them is a holding company. The other one's the active income company. Each LLC, I think, has nine separate bank accounts. We've got, uh, I think we spend like 32K per month on advertising, all of our operating expenses. So you just literally you just wake up and we're here. And it was like, well, hold on. So to answer, I'm in it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's why well, that's again- what we do as a community is like try to, we, we need each other to point these mm -hmm. things out, right? We need, you need a group of people that like understands what you're actually trying to accomplish that, you know, Nick says this all the time. Like, I don't, you know, get that asshole in your life quote, right. That's willing to say, Hey, you said you wanted this, but this is what I'm seeing you doing. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. Is this getting you closer? Or are you just chasing more? And I can't tell you how many times, even though you were aware of all these things, like, yeah, we were adopting the language. I'm, I'm sure that you would agree. We constantly make these mistakes because we're hardwired that way. Like this is just our biology and you have to have these rules, these bumpers, these, you know, we call them an op, we call it the operating system, right. In order to be able to make good decisions. Oh yeah. yeah. The investor frame has been a frame that we focus on a lot, you know, literally would I do the same stuff knowing what I know now? Right. You know, and it's like, it's an interesting, I don't, I don't want to answer it sometimes because we're already here, you know, but you know, the analogy I think of about that is like when we were dating in our, you know, when you were in high school or in your twenties or whatever, you you and I are both happily married now, but I remember what it was like when I was dating somebody and like, you don't really want to ask you know, you don't want to really apply the investor frame in these moments. It's like, well, knowing what I know now, would I, would I choose to date this person? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, I was the guy that took a, what should have been a six month relationship and drew, drawn it out to like four years. All mm -hmm. my relationships were like, you know, three, four, five years, these massive chunks. Cause I would just stay in them way mm -hmm. longer than I should have, even though I knew well, knowing what I know now, would I choose to to date this person again? If the answer is no, well, then by you staying in that relationship, like you're choosing to opt in every single day. And we do the same thing with our businesses. We do the same thing with other relationships in our life. You know, we do the same thing with rental properties. We choose to keep these things because we thought it was a great idea at one point in time and it's not anymore. So it's just, we see it in every aspect of our life. Yep, yep. Um... And that's the beauty, though, is that we have to unlearn. Oh. I hear this term a lot, right? Like, we actually have to unlearn something. So chasing more, you can only recognize if you understand you're chasing more. If it wasn't worded to me like this, I would just be doing. Right. And that's where it stops, you know? And I would continue to. I would, I'd be on my deathbed, you know, probably you know, with a drill laying next to me because <laughs> I just got done putting up a piece of drywall or something, you know? Yeah. Like, so it's been, it's just been, I don't know, I'll say it a million times that, you know, the, the group, the having Dan and Nick bringing some of these things to my own mentors has been an absolute life changer because I never wanted to stop. We don't want to stop, but I do 
everything is about everybody else. You know, it's how can I get my, how can I get my guys in the trucking business paid more, you know, and I'm working with them, getting them their own customers so that they can get a piece of that revenue. How do I get my acquisitions guy in real estate trained up with sales training so that he can be bringing in more deals? And you're always going to have the people that argue, yeah, well, but you're still making money. So you can say that it's not about the money and it's about them, but you're still making money. And they're never going to understand. It literally has nothing to do with the money. It has everything to do with seeing everybody grow. Well, let me ask you this, because I want to dig in on that if I could. When we talk about the solvable problem, at at least when we do it in the whale club, what we Mm -hmm. do is we help, like, we actually need to translate. There's sort of like two two sides of the coin, and and I'm, I'm sort of trying to articulate this well in a short amount of time, but we have all these things that we want to do, whether it's more time doing things that we really enjoy. You know, for example, I say, I want to play business as a sport, right? So like we all have certain things that we want to fund. Maybe it's putting, you know, uh, putting your kids through college. Maybe it's giving back to your employees or having time to volunteer with your, you know, your community or your church or whatever it is that's important to you. Um, But the solvable problem we have to take all those things and then try to convert it to an actual dollar value, you know, like, okay, cool. You've got all these goals. You've got all these things you want to do. How much money do you need in order to do those things and and endow those things in perpetuity, right? So that we can do this forever. That's the underpinnings of what we mean when we say financial certainty, you've got certainty that you can fund all the things that you want, you know, going forward. So you can really live the life that you want, but how hard is that? It's not exactly easy to just say, I'll just pick some number, right? Let me just pick some number. How have you gone about doing that? So I would argue that we're probably six months in, you know, that we're still actually making those calculations Um, because this is the most, it's the most important question of your whole life at this point in in my life, you know, like choosing the right woman was the most important question and decision that I had before. And we've checked that one off perfectly. Thank God. So now it's, how do we put a number on it? Right. And it's difficult. The, uh, the variables that go in are number one, everyone's got to get taken care of. Number two, we've got to give, um, you know, whether it's um, St. Jude's, we do, uh, my mother was handicapped, so we give to like a handicap fund. And then um, I forget what the, if I stop thinking about it, it'll pop in my head, but one of the other foundations for kids. Giving is always going to be very, very, very important to us. So a, a lot of what we make, we give. And um you know we have dreams of living on the water on the beach in a ridiculous ridiculous size compound eventually right nothing we don't want it for any other reason than it's attainable and it's hard so it's just one of those life challenges but as far as right now we live in a i think our house is 1700 square feet it's a three two uh, a third of an acre we have eight animals, no kids yet. So my spare bedroom is our bunny's bedroom. <laughs> and my wife and I couldn't be any happier. So it's like, same, when we talk about the difficulty, we're, we're beyond our solvable problem for life now if we stay right here like this, you know? So it's not even that we have the right to change our minds, but our minds will change as time goes by. So, you know, we're always in between, are we after the beach house yet? Or are we still building up everyone else? Are we trying to give 6% more this month or this year? So, you know, for me, it's always a frustrating answer because people want, this is what I'm doing and this is the number and this is how we got there. But for me, it's it's always going to be... It depends. 
like uh, Dan will say, where we are on our continuum. Well, and it does, everything does depend. And there's a big difference in uh, financial freedom, let's call it, where like, you know, we've got enough. If if you sort of just strip all the, you know, everything away, you, you realize like, actually, I have a pretty good life, you know? I, I probably, you know, we, we, we talked about this last week on our whale call around multiple people saying, I actually have everything that I want and it's already funded. And what a fantastic position that is to be in because now we can start talking about preferences, right? And, and the beach house, the beach compound, giving to these different charities and things like this, they're all valid preferences because it depends it depends on what you want those things are allowed to change over time um and so actually what we're about to dig in here over the next couple weeks is like prioritizing these things and saying well what is the most important thing and let's try to lock that in next and the beach house may not be as important as setting up an endowment of i i hear all the time people saying i want to give a million dollars away a year that's great well, how badly do you want that relative to the all the other things that you're that you've got on your preference list? Because um, if you try to do everything all at once, you run the risk of not being able to do any of them. Right. So we want to optimize for the most important thing. And that's seems like that's where you're at right now. That's where I'm at is trying to understand like, OK, so cool. I actually have a pretty comfortable life. I mean, we live in a modest house. We don't have a lot of expenses. Realistically, we have enough coming in from our businesses to cover that. Yeah. And then yeah. your anxiety drops and you're like, oh, right. OK, it's like another form of gratitude, right? Saying like, I'm grateful for the fact that I probably already have everything that I need to be happy in life. That may not be the case for everybody. But it's important to know where you are on that journey towards your solvable problem and give yourself permission for it to change over time. Yep, yep. Because it should, you know, uh, life's going to change, situations change. I think I said in the whale call, usually when we would set goals, my goals would be set one, three, and five years out. But we don't do five years anymore because everything's changing so quickly yeah. that we have no idea what will be there. So we don't really want to look past three years. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, we reserve the right to change our minds and exactly. hopefully we're changing it. We're always staying on the right trajectory and just changing it for the better. And, you know, it's the name of the game. It is. All right. Well, let's shift gears and let's talk a little bit about strategies that you use. Um, and you're very familiar with the barbell at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, for those who aren't, we talk about the barbell as a framework to think about where do you, allocate time and resources if you've if you've ever seen a barbell you probably notice that you don't load weight in the middle of the bar it's either on one side or the other in our world we refer to one side of the bar as reliable we want businesses we want uh activities assets things that are very low risk highly reliable right that's on one side that's the stuff that we're using to lock in our financial certainty it's what we call our downshift Another way of saying that is our macro belief. On the other side of the barbell, we like to take bets that they're, they're usually smaller bets, right? And if we're right, we make a ton of money and we do really well, or we gain some currency that we're trying to get. If we're wrong, the downside's pretty low, right? Big deal. And, you know, we can take those bets over and over again. So how do you think about your barbell and how are you allocating different strategies? So <clears throat> I'll give you a really cool example of what something that we changed in the logistics company this year since learning about the barbell strategy. So our barbell is rentals and our businesses because we know that we can rely on them. Um, we can teach people the skills they need. If we have to add on more people, we can teach people that are in the current seats now to do their jobs better. So in the logistics company, the way that we made money um, was I had the company and I had the customers, right? Everything was me. And then I had operations people who would help me do my work until I brought in a couple of my buddies who started to build their own 
books of business. So now the business went from us and our customers to now having sub agents under us as well. Since we've learned about the barbell, uh, maybe two months ago, we now have a, uh, a merged plan and that we're executing to where I want in-house salespeople and I want a whole team of sub-agents. So same as before, we were just doing whatever was going on was just a just nature unfolding from, from us going in and hustling every single day. Now there's a little bit more of an actual structure to where I own the Charlotte office um, that were signed on under this particular company. So now, instead of us just having my own office, now I have my own office, my own set of agents, and my own set of salespeople. So we're able to take that reliability and chop it up into multiple other nuggets to make it really, really reliable. If we were to do no business at all, like me and my team, we're still going to always have money coming in. But the trade-off is the people that are bringing in that money are making the majority. So it's actually such a better opportunity for them while just crazy increasing the efficiency and reliability of that business in itself. You know, so... We're going to talk about today on our call. It's so it's just very timely that we're having this conversation about the 70-30 rule for partnerships. Mm-hmm. You know, this okay. idea of 50-50, you know, or um, this idea that you can lower your downside oftentimes by just taking less from the deal, you know, mm-hmm. let the other side. So we say the 70-30 rule is like either I want 70% of this business or I want 30. I don't want to do a 50-50 partnership. In fact, I won't do that anymore ever. Why? Because it's almost never 50-50. Someone's typically bringing more value than another. I want it to be very clear. Either I want 70%, this is my responsibility, it falls on me, or I want 30%. And it, and it, and like, you'll, you'll get some people in real estate that'll turn their heads. They're like, wait a second, you're paying your acquisitions people. How much you're paying your partner? How much? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I am because I want it to be passive for me because it's their responsibility. Because if I have to, if I have to come in and do it, it's no longer a business that I want to want to own. Right. So when you shift the tides where you're making about the same or more as this person who's typically doing all the work. Well, they're going to expect that you are bringing a certain amount to the table. And in the same way that you adjusted that, where they keep a lot of the upside, but you just get this passive income source. Mm -hmm. I think it's beautiful. Fantastic way to apply the barbell. Yeah. And it's interesting that you word it like that because my side was more, I wanted to just be the angel from heaven that's saying you didn't have as good of an opportunity before I, my brain conjured this idea out of thin air that I'm creating right here that you can actually take advantage of. Hmm. So it's, you know, yeah, we take less, less um, liability, which is a phenomenal point while at the same time offering them what they never could have gotten before, you know, because some people they're just, and it's okay. Some people just aren't wired to create. Yeah. And we've fallen into the creators and the visionaries. So me giving the opportunity is what's driven me the last 10 years is like, whoa, not only can we do this for ourselves, but Hey, if you want to do this too, I can create another seat for you if you're willing to do the work. So That's great, man. And so we talked about the reliable side. What does your upside side of the barbell look like? Upside? um, I didn't have much before, but it's going to be 100% uh, invested in in Nick Peterson and guard. Um, It's an interesting concept. It's an interesting, uh, I always say that crypto, right? Like 
it's still so new. It's, it's exciting and terrifying because nobody really knows how it'll go. And again, watching this individual who, individual who we got to meet, uh, but also meeting his support staff, right? This isn't some dude owning some massive exchange that's going to, I forget what the dude's name, Friedman. He's, this guy's not going to Friedman everybody. This guy's got Dr. Jeff in his corner too. He's got Dan Nicholson in his court. You know, like there's too many smart people around what this guy's doing to not have a small interest in investing in what they're doing. So my upside play is like, just like you said, putting a little bit, maybe a little bit to some, maybe a lot to others, but putting our little bit into this guardian Academy. And for the moment, it's that maybe a little bit of Bitcoin. Yep. Um, you know, we've always been more conservative with risk and stuff. So even having upsides is not odd, maybe foreign. So sure. that's where it's going to be. Well, and you know, what I like about everything that you just said is that it's, it's a matter of perspective, you know, it's, it's the crypto gets such a bad rap from, you know, as like a bunch of degenerate gamblers, frankly, mm -hmm. let's call it like mm -hmm. it is. 99, 90, I don't know what percentage, but a really high percentage of the people who participate in that. In fact, that's why Nick and all them have started uh, an addiction recovery, recovery punks with Joe Polish. And they're doing a whole bunch with that because it can be gambling. Like the way that these, a lot of these people approach it, you know, they've got, let's say a hundred thousand dollars to their name and they've got $90,000 into crypto. And I'm sitting here saying, that is that is insane. That is crazy talk. It's so new and so early, right? But what we know is that crypto has an opportunity for like 10x, 100x type type situations. We saw that from Guard. I got into Guard at 10 cents, 12 cents, and it went up to $18. Like an unbelievable. That's 100x basically. And yeah. So what, what, what most people do is they're like, oh my gosh, I have an opportunity to make a hundred X. I'm going to push my, all my chips into the, to the middle. Right. Yeah. And then what happens and, and the whole crypto market comes back and fell back to where it is now. And they got crushed. Right. And of course mm -hmm. they're having this emote. They're like, oh, I'm in it for the long run. Yeah. Okay. Well, why are you so anxious and, and freaking out right now then? First yeah, of all, why are you not buying more now? Well, that's how you take a, that's how you take a perfectly fantastic asymmetrical bet to the upside and totally move it in the middle of the bar. It's about allocating resources correctly. We're not saying like push half your stack, 90% of your stack into crypto, just because you can make, you can make a hundred X. You have to mm -hmm. consider the downside and you don't need a whole lot at a hundred X to really like make a massive impact. But you also need, as we discussed at the beginning of the conversation, you need rules <laughs> Yeah. because when exactly. it goes here, there's gotta be a set of rules of what happens here, 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 which I think that we all learned from that last uptick yes. for those of us that didn't take chips off the table when they could. I think the other problem too, you know, we meet some of those Wolf Den guys who did put 90% in yeah. and did take their chips off the table and came out with what? Like a hundred million dollars? Like all these young I'll kids. tell you this. The you ones know, like, who say that they took the chips off the table, they didn't really. They took some chips off the table, but everybody got caught. Watch, well, as I say, watching the rocket ship take off. <laughs> you know, yeah, we're like, yeah. whoa, this is crazy. And yeah. so lesson learned. We will not make this mistake again. We will define the rules ahead of time because if you're trying to make up the rules of the game, like in the middle of the game, good luck. Good luck. Your human oh, mindset no. is going to, it's not going to allow you. We had some of the smartest people that I know looking at this, including my family. We all did the same thing. We got caught watching this rocket ship. It's a good thing that we didn't allocate too much to it 
But yeah, next time we're going to have a mechanism <clears throat> to downshift out of it and, and ultimately shift it from one side of the barbell to the other. Use it to go buy more real estate. Use it to build our, real, our, uh, our investment businesses or whatever business that we own. Yeah. And for the listeners, for them to understand, that's also why having a solvable problem tied into stuff like this, because exactly. a solvable problem is meant for you to reach a goal in a certain amount of time. Exactly. We can collapse some of that time if we're intelligent or more efficient in our investments. Crypto is just one of those things. If it all falls apart, we're all going to be fine. But if it does what we hope it does, we just reach the solvable problem that much quicker. Yes. You know, Dan, Dan um, says the solvable problem informs behavior, right? It should tell you when to do certain things and when to not. But if you don't have clarity on those things before you start, I mean, and, and that was, I am the perfect case in point. A lot of us in the whale club are the perfect case in point. We, we almost had to like smack our face on the bottom of the pool to know mm -hmm. not to dive in head first. Right. It's like, yeah. and, and unfortunately that's just, you know, we want to try to help as many people avoid that mistake as possible, but you're probably going to make that mistake. We all made it. So the real question is like, how do you fix that going forward? How do we account for the fact that we're human and we're like susceptible to watching our portfolio just like woo, rip. And you're just saying, well, all I need is another two to three X and then I'll hit my entire solvable problem for my life. And it's like, Paul, stop doing that. What happens if it doesn't hit that? Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. The, the joys and the, and the, uh, you know, the volatility of the emotions, let's just say in that market. So we've learned now and we're getting better, but no, I, I love it. Um, okay. So we talked about solvable problem. We talked about the barbell. What's something that you want to leave the listeners with? You know, I, I like to say like the greatest lesson you've learned it doesn't have to be the greatest lesson you learned. could be something you learned, you know, recently or, or in business. What would you like to share with the listeners? Um, I think, man, the, the greatest lesson I've learned, there's probably two. First is, you know, in order to be successful, you have to either perform a service or sell a product. Either way, your customer will only work with you if you know how to listen. Everybody wants to talk. Everybody wants to be heard. And all human beings have this innate need to feel special. So we feel like we use our words to make ourselves feel and look important when in reality that, you know, we've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. Number one is the ability to hear who you're speaking to is lesson number one. Lesson number two is the only limitations are what we put on ourselves. Um, we literally can do whatever we put our minds to. And I think I say that as my biggest lesson because I see every single day words that are used to stop people from achieving anything. Um, fear get in the way of action. And all you have to do is do. And um, if you just have this, you just have to know that you can do it. You know, you got to jump, just jump. Jumpers get rewarded as long as they're not jumping on, you know, off a building. Mm -hmm. But you just, you got to, you just have to, you can be scared. Just do and listen. Yeah. For me, those have been the two biggest drivers of everything that we're doing now for sure. That's great, man. Well, and you said something, uh, this whole idea of do like take action and imperfect action oftentimes is, is what it takes. And one, you know, the thing that we talk about in the certainty operating system is to micro step, you know, when we say do and jump, it's, it's not jumping off of a building, right? We're saying yeah, yes. what's the smallest action we can take that's forward progress that can get us some feedback and oftentimes people have a hard time because they think they have to take this massive action to start and i think the difference is 
you know, massive action can can be like a a little bit of a challenging word in this case. What I found successful is what's the smallest thing that I can do like right now to move forward. And that that shift right there <clears throat> helped me significantly to to not be so afraid of taking action because you're not looking at it in terms of this big picture. It's like what's the smallest thing I can do to start taking some action. So I I agree with you um you know absolutely in that sense there yeah there's a really cool analogy of a uh, like a boulder top of a hill and it's just sitting there and all it needs is like one full roll before it catches momentum mm -hmm. but inertia has got to be broken or else it's going to sit there forever so it's kind of like you going behind and i'm not talking a full-fledged push but i'm talking like Break inertia is the same thing. Just give it that first step because it's wild. Most people, they're just too terrified to take that first step. Us as doers, we have no issue taking action. I, nothing's guaranteed to work. And if it fails, it's okay. Yeah. And for whatever reason, we were blessed with not having those thoughts blocked in our heads, you know, so... I hope, I just hope that I can influence as many people as I can who would have not known otherwise to just give a little bit, a little shove in the right direction is all, is all you need. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I really appreciate you sharing, sharing time with me and sharing your story. I think people are going to get a, a lot out of what you've said here today. So I'll, I'll leave everybody with this. We always finish by saying, uh, apply the investor frame so knowing what you know now and the conversation that that jason and i have just had what changes do you need to make in your business your life your investments to help you get closer to the things that you want uh thanks so much for tuning in and listening to us today uh and thanks again jason for joining us we'll we'll see you guys on the next episode yeah thank you for having me sir